Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. One of the the painful realities of sin entering into humanity and fracturing the universe um, is we have conflict. And we've been talking about conflict in the Middle East. We've been talking about just a lot of conflict that's been happening within our own nation. The things that, you know, both um, our men and women uh, who have served in our military, you know, the, the thing that's interesting about a soldier is you don't get to pick and choose, you know, your politics or who's in charge or who's not. You're there to, to serve a responsibility. And I know there's a lot of complications uh, with war and a lot of devastation. Um, but I think it's also important that we understand that, man, every tribe, every tongue, every nation um, that has laid their life down for our, in our U.S. military for the lives and for the freedoms that we share. I know that America, we're not a perfect country, but we're able to do this right here and just gather in freedom, in religious freedom, um, because of the sacrifice of many. So I don't have time to dive into all of the complications. I think everything is a lot more sensitive because there's so much happening in our world today. So I want to be sensitive to that. But I also want to honor those that have greatly sacrificed. Some of you guys have had family members that have lost their lives um, as a result of fighting for our freedoms and our liberties. Uh, I think sometimes we forget about the families that have to suffer the consequence of or or have the, the privilege to serve, but also have to suffer at the sacrifice of their loved ones. Um, I also wanted to just really honor this last year. I felt like we fought a medical war and all the first responders and those who are on the front lines, um, we want to honor you today as well. So if, if, if you've served in our military, if, you have, uh, if you're a first responder, uh, or maybe your immediate family is, will you just stand to your feet? We just want to say thank you uh, for your sacrifice. If there's anybody here that would say, that's me, um, it doesn't look like it, but let's give them a hand anyways. Uh, for those tuning in online. Thank you for your sacrifice, and um, there's just some sacrifices that we'll never understand, and, uh, but we can be grateful and we can be appreciative uh, regardless of where you may be politically or any of that climate. I think we can appreciate someone that has laid their life down. In fact, um, the Bible says no greater love is this than one would lay his life down for his friend, and I, I think when we come across days like Memorial Day, I think, you know, in this world, as a result of sin, there's always gonna be dysfunction. But I'm hoping that in moments like this, it's the sacrifice of men and women of every tribe, every tongue, every nation that have laid down their life would also point us to the greater reality of the one who laid down everything for our ultimate freedom that no matter what happens in this world, that the freedom that we have in Christ transcends it all. And that's really what life is all about. And so um, so let me just pray for a moment. Father, we know that there are so many things happening across the globe. And Lord, we're so sensitive to that. We continue to pray that the gospel would go forth, that your purpose would prevail, that your will would be done. And God, we, we ask that uh, you would help us to live as followers of Jesus sacrificially. Lord, that we only wouldn't lay our life down for our friend, but Lord, we would lay our life down even for our enemy. That Lord, we would serve that's totally countercultural to this world. And that you'd give us a heart, God, to see people experience the ultimate freedom that is found in you. And Lord, uh, for those who have lost loved ones and who are losing loved ones as we speak, God, we pray uh, for your peace and for the gospel to penetrate and to comfort Holy Spirit. Would you comfort them in this hour in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen, amen. You know, I, I think it's important that, I think you guys have seen over this last year, man, it's just important that we take time 
And uh, it's so easy. You know, we have three-day weekend. Everybody's got, you know, the weekend. Oh, but man, there's, there was a price for that weekend. And I think that it's important that we, we stop and we feel certain pains and we, we feel some of that fracture that's happening in our world even now so that it moves us to a greater reality of how much we need Jesus and the gospel needs to get to the earth. Amen. Uh, so I, I want to speak to you today um, around this idea of a comfortable conviction, a comfortable conviction. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. For just the time that we have together, I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts, that you would illuminate our minds to the reality and the beauty of Jesus today. Oh, God, we need you desperately. We didn't come to play church. We don't want a comfortable conviction because that really doesn't exist. Lord, we need a heart transformation. And so would you come and move in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, I want to speak to you today around this idea of a comfortable conviction, and I don't really think a comfortable conviction exists, but sometimes I think that we think that it does. And uh, do you guys hear that sound? Watch this. Bam. Um, so so we, 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 we have this, this, this sense sometimes of God is speaking to our hearts, and we know that God is speaking, and we feel a certain way. And what we do after that is extremely important. So, so let, me, let me bring you back. It was about five years ago, I had to do a wedding in Los Angeles. And it was on a Saturday, and I had to preach on Sunday. So how many guys know that's going to be a turnaround trip? So every time we're thinking about a, a turnaround trip going to L.A., you're going to think about a couple of different things, right? Uh, number one, you're going to think about, uh, should I fly or should I drive? And you're always thinking about, how can I save the most money? So a lot of times we start with driving, but then if we can find a cheap flight, we're going to jump on a plane and we're going we're gonna to shoot out to L.A., right? So I kind of did the math. The wedding was going to be in Anaheim. I was like, do I really want to drive? It's like six hours, depending on traffic, a little bit brutal. Then I do the wedding and come all the way back. That's a, that's, that's a long journey. So I found a cheap flight. And uh, how many of you guys know, though, when you're doing a wedding in a, in a different city, where you have to jump on a plane to get there, everything on that Saturday was about connection. Like, like one bad connection, trouble. Because see, like today, if I blow this message and I just butcher it, hey, at least you're going to get the gospel. Like I'm going to read the, the Bible. So the Spirit of God is going to plant some seeds in your heart. And some of you guys will judge me and be like, man, I knew he wasn't that good of a communicator. Um, <laughs> And some of you guys, you know, there's a lot of this. Sometimes, man, I, I don't even have that in my mind because I'm, I'm preaching for an audience of one, but I, but I, do, um, I do care, and I, I want you to resonate deeply with the Word of God. So I want to communicate clearly, but the good news is if I blow it, I have next week. I can always come back next week if I'm still alive uh, by the grace of God and, and do it again. But, but with the wedding, you get one shot, and I've messed up a couple of weddings. I have. And if you're online, you can throw it in the chat if... Uh, if I messed up a wedding that you were at, like there was, there was a moment where I forgot to ask the groom to put the ring on her finger. But then I cleaned it up because I caught it. And so I kind of navigated it, cleaned it up, wasn't so bad. And then um, this last year, oh my goodness, man, Summer, if you're watching, I'm so sorry. Um, but but I, I was doing a wedding in Lake Tahoe and my, my notes, they, they didn't download all the way onto my iPad. So I'm crushing the first six pages and all of a sudden it was like, Blank seventh page and eighth and ninth, right? And so in that moment, you're just like, oh, Lord, because you get one shot to do a wedding. Yeah. One shot, right? They don't get to get and, and the cool thing is, is no matter how it goes, everybody's like, it, it turned out amazing. And thank the Lord I have it inside of my heart. So I was able to, to still maneuver. But it was a lot of pressure, right? So you, you want to get a wedding right. And so that Saturday, everything was about connection. Woke up, wanted to make sure that my, my charger was connected to my phone so that my alarm went off. Alarm went off. I jumped into the car that connected me to the BART station, jumped on a BART train at a specific time, specific connection. Went to San Francisco, jumped onto, transferred to another BART train at a specific time, made that connection, then jumped uh, from that BART train, connected to the Sky Train, which brought me to the terminal, which brought me to the gate, which allowed me to jump on an airplane. Now, when you jump on an airplane going to Los Angeles, you always have this moment, like, why would we ever drive ever again, right? No stress, get some peanuts, get a little 7-Up, go up, come down. 
Man, amazing. Land in Long Beach. Long Beach is the best airport in Los Angeles. I don't care what you say. It's my favorite. Land in Long Beach, super easy. Connect to the rental car. Drive to Anaheim. Do the wedding. Get back in the rental car. Drive back to the airport. Get into the terminal. About to make a connection or get to the gate. About to make a connection to my flight. But in this connection time, God started to speak to me. Now, now I started to have this, this, this thought of what if, what, if I, what if I had, what if I saw somebody here that I knew? What would I ask them? Because as I'm sitting here, I'm watching everybody do one thing, connect. Connecting to this flight, connecting to that flight, just got off a flight, jumping on a flight, and everybody is doing life. They're either on a business trip, they just came back from a business trip, they're on vacation, they're coming home. So many different, you're just watching people move and connect. That's what we do at an airport, we connect. But, but if I had a friend that was just hanging out, and I've seen people that I know at the airport, believe it or not, it, Jackie and I, we see people in the craziest places. I told her, like, the Lord will not let me get away with anything, because everywhere I go, Pastor Matt. Um, and so, so normally the question that I would ask somebody would be like this. If we we're at home, like a local airport, I'd say, hey, where are you coming from? Or if we're somewhere else, or where are you going? Or if I saw him somewhere else, like, hey, what are you doing here? Right? And, and what, what if, what if my, my, my friend had their bags packed and I asked them, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's the deal? And they're like, oh, no, I, I'm just hanging out at the airport. I could just love watching people connect. And then they give me a dissertation on how important connection is. And they got their bags. And, and now, now, mind you, an airport is a fun place to watch people. You see people from all over the world, and it's just like, it's fun to people watch, right? Um, but, but the pastor inside of me would probably slow down in that moment and say, hey, uh, like, you all right? Are you okay? Like, you got your bags packed, and you're at the airport, and, but you're making no connections. And, and I, I think as I sat in this terminal, I, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper something like this to me, was that, man, sometimes Sunday morning, um, it's supposed to be a lot like an airport um, where people are making connections, but sometimes that's, that's not the reality. Sometimes there's, the, you know, it's, it's people that have what they perceive to be a conviction when they hear the word of God and God begins to speak to their heart, but, but there's no connection. And, and so, so like my imaginary friend, like, oh, they're proclaiming it on Sunday. Now, let me, let me preface this. It, when I say this, you cannot stop amening, all right? You cannot stop saying, preach it, so good, all that stuff. <laughs> say that, right? It, makes, it helps me know that, that you're resonating. If it, but only say it if it's real. Don't be fake and be like, so good. Um, but I think so many times on Sunday mornings, we, we hear that, right? We, it can be like, amen, oh, so good. Oh, God, you're speaking to me. How does he know? Right? We, we have these moments where, oh, Lord. And some of us are like, how do you really know? Like, oh, my goodness. Like, you, did you tell him? Right? Uh, and so, so we have these moments on Sunday where we, we really sense the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And sometimes I think that we, we, we think it's conviction, but it's really not. We just, especially around this idea of sin, we think it's conviction, but it's really not. It's just we feel bad. Yeah. Or maybe there starts to be a sense of conviction, but because there's no connection, there's no transformation. Yeah. And then we're, we're left in frustration. Yeah. I didn't plan to like say all the shuns, but that's what we do as pastors, right? Um, and so, so conviction simply means it's the act of convincing a person by argument or evidence. It's a state of being convinced. It's a fixed or a firm belief. And, and so, so I, I would propose to you that, that on Sunday mornings, listen, it's like the Lord is saying, man, people are watching others connect. They're hearing about others connecting, but there's some on Sundays that come through or in a small group or even in their personal time with me, man, I want so badly to make that connection, but they're hearing, they're seeing, they're even feeling, but never connecting. And, and conviction, the reason why I would say conviction many times, uh, we may mistake conviction for a false conviction is because sometimes um, when there's conviction that doesn't lead us to action, like I said, when conviction minus connection equals no transformation only results in frustration, we, it, we probably know that there really wasn't, there may, be an, there may have been a real conviction, but then it just kind of translates into feeling bad because we never make the connection. 
And so, so let me explain what I mean. Uh, ten bridesmaids in Matthew t- chapter 25 waiting for the bridegroom to return, speaking of Christ. And they all look the same. They're all speaking the same language. Like, oh, I'm so excited. Jesus, man, the bridegroom is coming. Are you ready? I'm ready. We look ready. We're dressed ready. All of that. Then, then the announcement comes, hey, the bridegroom is coming. And then five of them were like, man, we don't have any oil. So can we borrow from you five? Because we don't, we don't have any oil. Like, I know we look like we've been saying yes and amen. We're like waiting for the bridegroom. But there was not, no connection. And as a result, there was no transformation. So, so let, me, let me break this down a little bit more. So John chapter 16, verse 8 says that the Holy Spirit will convict us, will come and convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Convicting the world of sin, which is rebellion against God. Many people in the world don't know they're rebelling against God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes, and as the word of God is preached, as the word of God is declared, the Spirit of God begins to convict the hearts of men and women to know that, hey, there's a better way. And you are not living consist- You are not living in God's perfect will for your life, that sin is a destroyer and God has something so much better for you. So he starts to convict us concerning our sin, our rebellion towards God. And then he convicts us uh, in regards to righteousness. And, and how the Holy Spirit does that is the, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal that our righteousness compared to God's righteousness is very hollow. And so it's easy to compare ourselves to one another, right? And whenever we compare ourselves to one another, we normally either, we compare ourselves to somebody that's amazing, so we feel horrible, or we, you know, if it's in a negative context, we try to find somebody that's a little worse than us, and it makes us feel a little bit better. But when we compare ourselves to the Lord, all of a sudden we see that our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's super hollow in light of God's standard. And, and then the Spirit of God convicts us concerning judgment because a lot of times our judgment is skewed because our judgment principles are based of the prince of this world being the enemy. And so how we process and discern and, and judge certain things gets very skewed. And so the Holy Spirit is like, you are not thinking right. And so James says it this way. James says, do not just merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Like, just don't hear, but make the connection. You got to make the connection, right? Oh, man, it's so good. Well, what are you going to do with it? You got to make the connection. Now, I think if we're all honest, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, that we are far more learned than we are lived today. Meaning we have so much knowledge of so many things, but we don't always live everything that we know or even profess to believe. Uh, For example, my kids... My kids ask random questions in the car all the time. Like this last week, they say, hey, dad, what's the most poisonous snake in the world? And in my mind, I'm like, I don't know, but I don't want them to always see me going to my phone. So I sneak it like, what is the most poisonous snake in the world? Like just knowledge at our fingertips, right? I think it's a black mamba. All right. And, and so we just have so much knowledge. We have access to so much knowledge far more learned than we are actually live. Like many of us, we know the importance of working out. Ladies and gentlemen, come on. But how many of us actually do that in this room? If I got the stat, and I know you try to justify yourself right now, I was, I'm on the Peloton twice a week, bro. Um, but we try all these things. We, we subscribe to all these things. We get a gym. Gyms just love us because they're like, man, we're only going to get about 10% of the people in, so they're just going to pay us every month. And don't even, our equipment's going to stay good for a long time. We just know so much. We're so, far more learned than we are lived. Uh, we have people on Instagram. That they're, they're selling knowledge videos. Like you want to make like online money, you just find something that you're good at, put it on video, great marketer. You could, you could just like learn about it last week. But if you're a good marketer, you can sell that thing, right? And, and, and it's, it's amazing because a lot of people, they're, they're selling knowledge. They're not living it. They, they learned it. They've Googled everything, and then they put it all together in a package so you don't have to search everywhere, and then they give it to you. And so it's just we, we live in this place of so much knowledge, and knowledge isn't a bad thing. But when we become content with knowledge alone and we're never making the connection, we never see any transformation. Hashtag my abs. Are you with me on that? Um, and so... <laughs> And so, so 
we know spending time with God is important. Like in all seriousness, right? We, we, we know the danger of sin, yet we still flirt. We, we, we value relationships and know the importance of prioritizing what matters most. Prioritizing the urgent or the important over the urgent, yet we still are so drawn to these different areas. We know, but have we made the connection? Paul says it this way. He says, now regarding your questions about food that has been offered to idols, because what would happen in this ancient culture is many of the pagan worshipers would offer sacrifices or would offer uh, food as sacrifices to idols. But in a lot of ways, if you do kind of your homework on this culture uh, in Corinth, they would offer maybe a part of the animal and then they would sell the rest at the market. So a, a lot of like people would come and buy their meat at pagan temples, believe it or not. It's strange, fun fact for you. Um, but what Paul was saying is, listen, is knowledge, like we all have the knowledge about this issue. As people are like, man, what's the big deal? Man, we're going to barbecue today. But while knowledge makes us feel important, another translation said knowledge puffs up, it's love that strengthens the church. So Paul is like, listen, if you have knowledge by itself and don't make the connection for your love for God and your love for people, then there are some, there are some believers that are younger in the faith and they see you eating this meat. Uh, they, may confuse your, your, they may confuse your eating this meat with idol worship and it may cause them to stumble. And so rather than using our freedoms or uh, exercising our freedoms that could offend somebody else or another believer, let, let's, let's, we have knowledge of, of what's right and what's wrong, but let's also exercise and connect that to love so we can strengthen the church, edify the church, and not destroy it and not cause somebody else to stumble. And so knowledge, if we're not careful, we're not making the connection. We can have all this knowledge, but if we're never connecting, it can puff up. It can feel very proud. And this is Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees, right? He said, you study the scriptures diligently. You have all this knowledge. You think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is saying is you refuse to make the connect. Like you know all of this and you're in your dazzling robes. Remember what he called the Pharisees? He said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You guys look beautiful on the outside, but you're dying on the inside. He said, you're a brood of vipers. Like Jesus was going in on the religious people, right? And so, so it's like, man, if we have all this knowledge, yet it's not leading and moving us to an encounter and an in-depth personal intimacy with Jesus, then we haven't made the connect. There's a, there's a disconnect. And, and even though we hear the word, we're like, oh, so good. Or if it's something that's really convicting us, we're like, did I just get slapped or love? I'm not really sure what just happened in that moment. But, but I, I feel it. I'm like, oh, I need to make the connect. Now, now you say, well, what is the connect between conviction and transformation? I would propose that it's repentance. Repentance has gotten a bad rap in the church. Because, you know, you'll see people on the street corner, repent. Like the message is right. It's just portrayed in a way that kind of turns people off. But repentance is, is a beautiful word. It, it's a refreshing word. It's a gift. It's a connecting word. And so the word uh, repentance, it means the, the original word in the Greek is metanoia. It literally means just simply a change of mind. It, it, it means to turn. Like, like my, my, I've, I've had a turn in, in my mind. I've, I've made the turn. Now, I, I think many times we think we have a conviction of sin, but really we just have a sense of feeling bad over the circumstance or over the consequence. See, a false conviction says, I'm sorry. A false conviction says, man, I acknowledge what I've done, but then it stops there. Real conviction says, man, I'm sorry, I acknowledge what I've done, I'm acknowledging it, but, but now I'm, I'm connecting that conviction and that acknowledgement with repentance that says, I'm not just, I'm sorry, or I'm not just acknowledging, I'm changing. I, I, like, I, cannot, I cannot move in this direction anymore. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about repentance. He says, repentance grows as faith grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks, a temporary penance to be got over as fast as possible. No, it's the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. God's little children repent, and so do the young man and the fathers. Repentance is the inseparable companion 
of faith. I like to say that, that, uh, that repentance is the fruit of our faith. Because when God speaks and we're moved by that in regards to our sin, and let me just clarify, if you're new to church, if you're online, sin just simply rebellion against God. Like God has a design of the way things are supposed to live. And we say, God, I don't want your design. I want my design. I want to go my way, do things how I see fit. We find ourselves in a place of sin. And so, so when, when, we're, when we're convicted of our sin, all of a sudden we're moved by the word of God and our faith begins to step out in action. That action is repentance that moves from that place of repentance to a place of transformation. But, but I, I say that repentance gets a bad rap because a lot of times we think that repentance is just about pruning yeah. when, it, when it's also about pursuing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we think about repentance, we're like, what do I got to cut off? Yeah. And, and that's true. But, but why you cut it off is just as important and how you cut it off yeah. is just as important. Uh, let, let me ex- explain a little bit. The uh, Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary says this way, the basic Hebrew word, which is used to express this change in regards to repentance, we're going to call it SWB, all right, because um, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, um, the root of which simply means to turn, just means make the turn. It is a particularly instructive word because it reflects the notion of journeying and pilgrimage. So do you see the pursuit? The journey and pilgrimage, which exemplifies in a very fundamental sense the attitude and relationship between Yahweh and Israel. Israel's religious calendar, too, is built on these core, on the core of pilgrim feast, Passover, Booths, Pentecost, all have pilgrim context. It is this notion of walking and journeying then that illuminates the meaning of SWB. The relationship with Yahweh is envisioned as an ongoing journey requiring constant attention and vigilance and a sense of purpose. I know that's a lot, but but let me just sum it all up. It's not just about pruning. It's about turning and pursuing that makes the change. Like if I told you right now, don't think of a pink elephant. You all just thought of a pink elephant. Because it's not just about trying to cut off the pink elephant. I'm going to try really, really hard to stop doing this. I'm going to try not to look at that anymore. I'm going to try not to do this. I'm going to try not to act like this. But the whole time you're trying, you're focused on it. Because you haven't made the turn. The turn is like, no, I'm going to pursue Christ. And in that pursuit, the pruning starts to happen. Are you tracking with me on that? And that radically changes our motivation. So repentance isn't just pruning. It's about pursuing and journeying and and, uh making a pilgrimage, I was going to say a pilgrimaging or whatever, uh, making a pilgrimage with the Lord. So it's not just trying to avoid sin, it's about pursuing Christ to turn and to keep turning toward him. The hard part is this, is it's vulnerable. You ever went to the Lord and you actually like confess, like you said your sin out loud to him, yeah. that one sin that you know, and it's just like, oh Lord, so... Uh, or maybe, maybe to go to somebody else, as James instructs us, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. Not forgiven, that's between you and God, but there's a healing that happens when you invite people in on the journey. It's like, oh, I really want to say it. Uh, I, I love this, I love this uh, but it's hard. It's, it's tough sometimes. It, this story by Leslie Newbegin, he, he quotes this powerful scene in a novel written by South African writer Alan Patton. The story centers around a young police lieutenant husband and father named Peter. Peter struggles with depression, and he has what we would call father issues. He's on the verge of an affair with a younger woman. His wife and children are out of town, so he goes to see his good friend, right? He's he's in the thick of it right now. Uh, He goes to see his good friend, a man nicknamed Cappy. Among other things, two friends share an interest in the hobby of stamp collecting. So stamp collecting, a simpler time in life, right? Peter shows up intending to humble himself. He's like, I'm going to repent. I'm going to make a full confession of all of my struggles and my temptations. And as Alan Patton writes, Peter knows what he should say. He's going to say something like this. Cappy, I'm here to tell you of the deep misery of my life, and you must help me before I'm destroyed. You must tell me something in God's name. But he said none of those things. Instead, Peter nonchalantly lies about what, why he really came. He said, Cappy, I'm really just sick of an empty house and want to see some more stamps. So they listen to music and look at stamps. Cappy knew that his friend had something deeper on his mind. So when Peter started to leave Cappy, he, and when Peter started to leave, Cappy said, you can come every night if you wish. But Peter walks out and does not return. 
And as Alan Patton writes, ah, if he could have told, and yet he could not tell. Peter wants repentance without risk, without cost, and without vulnerability. And so it's just, it can be tough because we're, we're putting ourselves out there. And I think sometimes we don't even really know what we need to do because there's some confusion around repentance. In other words, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I think sometimes we confuse the consequence of sin with the conviction of sin. Meaning, uh, I'm going to put myself on the chopping block for this. There's been so many times, and I've dealt with so many people over the years, um, where the consequences are catching up to us, right? The decisions that we've made, whether it's in, whether it's with the law Right, I've, I've had a lot of those conversations. Like, man, Pastor Matt, if God just gets me out of here, I'm going to change. Right? Um, I've seen it in relationships. I've seen it just when people are making bad decisions and the consequences are starting to catch up. All of a sudden, it's getting heavier and heavier. And we're like, oh, my goodness. I'm ready. Like, so, I'm, I'm ready to make a move. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to do this. Right? But, but here's the problem. The problem is, is when, when we want to change because there's fear of the consequence of sin, then, then what's happening in that moment is, is I'm really focused on myself. I'm really self-absorbed because the point of my grief isn't that I've sinned against God and I've sinned against others. It's, this is going to hurt my pride. This is going to be embarrassing. This is going to cause great trouble to me. This is, this, is, this is going to be difficult, right? And so because our heart hadn't changed and what we love hadn't changed, once the consequences diminish, we go right back to the same pattern of destruction. Are you guys tracking with me? And so, so what do we do? When, when, it's the, when, it's, when we confuse these two, when it's the consequence of sin, we just get to, I'm going to try really, really hard. And I think people really mean it. Yeah. I know I really meant it. I mean, do you know how many times I would go to church with my mom? I would run to the altar like every week. Like the pastor would do the altar call and I would just come. I want to give my life to Jesus. He's like, again? Like, <laughs> didn't it take last week? The week before? It was just because I felt sorry yeah. for the consequences of everything that I was facing. And had a glimpse of the reality of the truth, but there was never a connection unto repentance. And so I'd walk out of that place and I'd go back right to the same stuff over and over and over. Because until sin is the problem and not the consequence of sin, our heart will never change. And so, so, so I would say we have to be cut to the heart before we can cut off the sin. And I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and 38 and verse 41. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified. Stop right there. That's a load to bear. Jesus crucified, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, sent the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was just poured out. Peter's preaching his sermon. And he says, you guys just crucified the Messiah. He says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said, Peter, and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptized. Shout out to everybody who got baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 then says, those who accepted his message, notice everybody didn't accept it. Some people probably felt bad, but they were like, sorry, let's keep it moving. Right? Uh, they were baptized, and about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. But let me just tell you, there's, there's no consequence here. Why are they cut to heart? They're cut to heart because we violated, like we crucified God. Do you see, do you see what I'm saying? So my, I'm heartbroken because of what we did to him, not what's about to happen to me. So you see this beautiful thing. You see conviction. And you see the connection. And then we see in verse 42, we see transformation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship and breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. The many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Here it goes. They sold their possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A radical transformation. And the world's now looking like, what? What happened to you? That conviction, there was a connection, repentance that led to transformation. But it wasn't about fear of consequence. Can I just tell you, there is a place for fear of consequence, just so you know that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, I mean, there's just some things where she's like, yeah, I ain't doing that because that's bad. <laughs> I don't want to deal with the ramifications. I'm not saying that we just throw that out. But I'm saying that cannot be, fear cannot be your primary motivating factor when it comes to dealing with the patterns of sin that you're prone to. It's got to be something other than fear. And I'm going to help you see that. But we have to first see that it's not about the consequence. Our heart has to be cut. We have to be cut to the heart when it comes to the Lord. King David sins with Bathsheba, right? Sleeps with this woman, has her husband killed. She gets pregnant, big old mess, tries to move on like nothing ever happened. Nathan comes to him and said, Dave, bro, like, he tells him a story, and the story revealed the sin of this person in the, in the story. I don't have time to tell you, but basically he said, Dave, you're, you're the guy. And David wasn't like, oh, no, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my kingdom? Look what David said. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. Cut to the heart. I've sinned against God. Like, I'm grieved because I've grieved God. My heart is penetrated because I... I violated the one that I love, the one who loves me with an everlasting love. You see Peter in the same way. Peter is, is out fishing one day, did, doesn't catch a thing. Jesus says, hey, Pete, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? All of a sudden, man, boats filled with fish. Then he has to call another boat filled with fish. I mean, just this is massive miracle. No consequence. Peter's not even doing anything wrong. He's just in the presence of God. And look what happens. It says, when Simon Peter saw, when he saw all that was happening, saw the miracle, then he's looking at Jesus. He's like, oh, Lord. What? It says he fell to his knee, at Jesus' knees, and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. This word saw, it's the word haro. It means to properly see, often with metaphorical meaning, to see with the mind spiritually and to perceive with an inward spiritual perception. A deep conviction was happening inside Peter that was connecting. How, how was, where was that repentance coming from? Because he's in the presence of God. And he falls to his knees and he's like, like, you are so good. I, you just gave me like the, the dream of my life. And it's in the midst of that kindness that he does not deserve that he falls to his knees in repentance, saying, God, oh, man, I'm a messed up dude. And Jesus tells him, he says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you. Not you're going to become because you're trying really hard. No, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so conviction without connect, listen, conviction without connection, without real repentance will never lead to transformation. And sometimes I would even say that conviction is a firm belief. So many times when we're not moved to repentance, it may not be, it may be more of a fear of consequence or it may be that we feel bad because we know it's wrong, but there's really not a genuine conviction that we're grieving the heart of God and others that we love. And so we're still focused on ourselves. Are you with me on that? And so uh, if, if, if it's only the consequence, once the consequences are over, many times you'll be back. I'm not saying every time. Sometimes, you know, you're like pushing through. I'm never going back to that. Okay. But I'm saying a lot of times you guys know this. You know your heart that we're just prone to go back to. There's patterns that we're prone to go back to. And so, um, but can I just tell you, when you're in love with God, when you're in love with the Lord, you know, so, so amazing about Peter's moment is he gets up, he looks, up all, looks at all the fish, and it says immediately they got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Yeah. So it was like in that moment, it was like, I don't even care. It's a pilgrimage. It's a journey. I've made the turn. Everything that I thought I needed, I don't need anymore. What I need is you. Are you tracking with me on that? That is so good. So let me give you a couple things to consider. First one is this. Is because your identity is in Christ, this is key, 
Invite others to help identify the sin patterns you're prone to. So, it brings me so much joy when I get phone calls from people that are just like, man, I'm going to shoot straight with you. Because I know, I'm like, oh, this is conviction. And there's going to be transformation on the other side of that. And because a lot of times, listen, we don't want to deal with our sin. I think that even people that don't believe in God, you atheist, um, uh, agnostics may struggle with this a little bit too. I think a lot of times, think about this. I'd rather believe God doesn't exist because if God does exist, I have to deal with me. I have to deal with my sin, my life. I just much rather pretend he doesn't exist because as long as he doesn't exist, I don't have to deal with me. I can do me. And so, um, so, so, but, but this, this can be tough. And I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but I'm saying, oh, it's so necessary. Say that, Lord, I'm securing you. I'm totally securing my identity is in you. It's not in what I do. And I don't want to live in these patterns anymore. And so I'm going to invite people into my life who know me best and have watched me and invite them to speak honestly but graciously to the patterns that they see that I'm prone to. Because I think sometimes we may know, but we've overlooked them so much because we don't want to deal with them. And it's much easier not to. Somebody came up with a list that, that I found of sin patterns that we're prone to. One said, for some of you, it's, it's anger, harsh words, and unloving. That's what you're prone to. Ungenerous with money, too cautious to take risk of any kind. Maybe, maybe that's what you're prone to. Like when God is even calling, you're like, no, no, it's not, it's not good. It's not a good time. Not, it's not safe. It's not. Worry, rash statements, and judgments. Maybe for you, it's stubbornness and not being able to uh, repent that you were in the wrong or acknowledge it. Maybe it's jealousy, lying, and a lack of integrity. Maybe it's manipulating, abusing people. Maybe you're not a team player. Maybe you overcommit yourself and comparing yourself to others on a regular basis. Maybe you're a coward. You're a gossip. Or you enjoy confronting others a little bit too much. Like, I just love confronting others, right? And we can go down the list. You know the patterns of your heart. And if you don't, those closest to you know the patterns that you're prone to, even as a follower of Jesus. And so it's just, well, we have the courage and the security enough to ask. I tell you what, if there's deep conviction of saying, Lord, I want to live in such a way that honors you and pleases you because I love you. Man, I'll tell you what, I remember when Jackie came to me one time and she said, hey, babe, like you're so good at discipling everybody. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she said, uh, and then she, she made the turn. She said, yeah, but I, you're not so good at discipling me. Cut to the heart. You know, everything, in, everything inside of me wanted to excuse that reality. Well, girl, you don't know what you have. <laughs> like everything inside of me wanted to be like, and give a justification. But in my heart, I, know, I knew it's true. She's just not getting the best of me. And so, what are you prone to? The people closest to you, they know. Secondly is this, and lastly is this, filter your convictions through your love for the Lord and your joy in the Lord. Uh, Mark, chapter, Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The next verse says, and to love your neighbors, you love yourself. It's the great commandment. I used to always wonder, like, God, how, how do you command love? Like, love me. And then I met my wife, and I started to see this beautiful reality of, of love simply responds to loveliness, doesn't it? Like, like I remember, I, guys, I don't recommend this. Like, keep your eyes focused on Jesus during worship. But I remember I would watch Jackie during worship. I kind of peek over like, dang, she really loves Jesus. And, and her, her hands would, would not be up like 50%. Like, they were up all the way. I'm like, man, she really loves Jesus. <laughs> And there was something so attractive and beautiful because I, I knew that God had called me into ministry and I know that I, it just, it, the, the relationship was gonna have to be special and specific. And, and then here's the beautiful part. And now I get, to, I, I get to do life with her by the grace of God. She didn't see me as that beautiful in the beginning. Um, she's caught, like, I think God has, she's made the turn. Um, and so she sees a little bit better side of my beauty. Um, but, but now I get to see her every single day. 
And, and let, me, let me make this very clear. We argue and we fight. But even in that, there's still beauty of us coming together, repenting, working it out. And so as I begin to see her beauty week after week, all of a sudden my love for her continues to increase more and more. And as I just, love responds to loveliness. And so bad things, if, if when we think about sin and we just think bad things are gonna happen, it's not a good enough motivator. Because if it's just like, hey, if I do this, bad things are gonna happen to me, you're still self-absorbed, self-centered, looking for something outside of Jesus to be your savior. And then it's just like, I'm gonna try hard, but you won't change because your heart hasn't changed. Your love for sin hasn't changed. Matter of fact, sin is still attractive to you. And you haven't found someone that's more attractive than it. And so when we don't see, and we don't see that sin is so unattractive because it's grieving the one that we love, as David said, I've sinned against the Lord. And it's, and it's hurting those around me. That's what moves you to great change. When I was younger, I did some crazy stuff. But you know, there were some things I didn't do. And I'm going to tell you why, because I knew it would crush my mom if something happened to me. And so it was my love for her that kept me, not, not the fear of what, what the consequence was. I was already living wild and crazy. But it was my love for my mom that I'm like, I got to draw the line here. I just, I can't do this. Love is a much more powerful reality to keep you than fear. Fear will not keep you on the distance. Your fear of consequence will not keep you like your love for the Lord. And so a, a, a lot of times, let me, Tim Keller gives a, a great breakdown of how we apply this. How do I, how do I filter my convictions through my love for the Lord and the joy that I have in him in regards to the gospel and apply that to the patterns that I'm prone to. When I fall into pride and I'm upset about what people are saying and I'm starting to lose face, anybody know that feeling like, oh Lord, like, what do I gotta do? I can look to the cross and say, Lord, you made yourself of no reputation. You gave up your power and your glory for me. The more that I thank and rejoice that you did that for me, the less I need to worry about my reputation, whether people are approving of me or not, because the cross screams that I am ultimately approved. And do you see how there's a joy in that? It's like, oh man. And there's a joy that comes as a result of that beautiful reality that I can apply that's so much more beautiful than whatever's trying to entangle me? Or what about when I'm not patient and irritated with people? Anybody been there lately? Just remember that in the garden, Lord, just before you died, you were so gentle and patient with the disciples and just like we too fall asleep on you. On the cross, you were giving yourself for people that mocked you and abandoned you. And the more that I thank and rejoice that you did that for me, it melts my heart of stone and makes me patient and compassionate towards others that otherwise irritate me. And you can keep, you can go down every list. What is it, anxiety? Remember he was in the garden and his sweat became like drops of blood. Lord, you, when, I, when I'm so anxious about what's ahead, I think about you in the garden sweating drops of blood because the anguish was so thick that you were getting ready to drink the cup that I deserve of the wrath of God for my sin, that my eternity would be secure. I think I can rest a little bit. I think I can rest in that beautiful reality that, God, you held nothing back for me. It's just beautiful. But a, a lot of times, listen, if we can connect the love, our love for God and our joy that we have in him that's found in the gospel, connect it to those patterns that we're prone to, then we have Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul says, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in view of all that he's done, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. For this is your reasonable act of worship. It's only reasonable in light of his mercy, in light of all that he's done, in light of the joy that I have in you and the love that I have for you because you first love me and my love simply responds to the loveliness that you showed me. And then what does he say? He says, so don't be conformed anymore to the patterns of this world. No, I'm applying the gospel now to my patterns but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'd be able to know the will of God, the good, the perfect, and pleasing will of God is for your life. Transformation. We take the gospel and apply it to our patterns. 
in light of our love for the Lord and the joy that we have in him and the beauty of the gospel. Transformation happens in that place. So last thing, and I'm, I'm done. It's still hard sometimes because we don't want to look at our sin. It's not fun. But I love this reality. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Can I just tell you that the, the scriptures are there. God's law and standard, that's the point. It's like a mirror. We're like, man, Lord, uh, not looking too good right now. But, but look, it, it doesn't stop there. It says, but as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became even more abundant. Uh, another translation said, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so if you're afraid to look at your sin, listen, you need to look once again at the grace of God found in the gospel because what your sin should do is overwhelm you with great joy and comfort in light, in light of your sin. Listen, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So as you look at your sin, it should, there should be great conviction. There should be this, this God, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to violate you. I love you. I don't want to violate the ones that I love. But I can deal with my sin because I know where it abounds much. Your grace is even bigger. And that those who confess their sin, you are faithful and just to forgive. So if you won't deal with your sin because it's too ugly to look at, you need to start with grace. You need to go back and understand that your sin is not too big for the cross. It's not too big for God's grace. The bigger your sin, greater the grace. And it's that grace that moves us away from sin, doesn't give us a license to it. Because when you experience that grace to its fullness, when you don't deserve everything that God has given you, that's not going to say, oh, cool, I can just ask for forgiveness and God will forgive me. No, you're saying, I'm going to run away from that in pursuit and pilgrimage from the one that loved me so much that even despite I'm a mess, gave me grace. That's how I'm going to live my life in light of my love for him and the joy that I have in him. That will keep you. That will change the patterns. Renew your mind so that you and I can walk in his perfect will. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, your word says that, as Peter says in Acts chapter 3, that repent, therefore, turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins. Times of refreshing would come. Repentance isn't a bad word. It's a refreshing word that moves us from conviction and connects us to transformation because it connects us to you, making the turn to you. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.